0: Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. What's up, citizens? How we doing? Good. It's Wednesday night. It's my favorite night of the week because it's the best night of the week. No questions about that. I love that intro video. It's very cool, right? Just the lo-fi beats, the colors, it's all very cool. Well, hey, welcome. If you're brand new here to Citizens, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, we're doing something special tonight. So we uh, got to break out into small groups last week. We're doing that again uh, tonight and for the next couple weeks. Uh, thumbs up if you liked going to small group last week. It was pretty cool, yeah? All right, sweet. But if you're brand new here tonight and you don't know anyone and you wanna get plugged in, we're gonna have a new student small group that's gonna meet right outside those doors, right in the lobby. And uh, we've got a couple of leaders who are excited to meet you and excited to uh, tell you more about our ministry. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to James chapter four. James chapter four. And I've used uh, an illustration similar to this before but I want you to imagine that you have two choices in front of you and you had to pick one. You had to pick one of these two choices and somebody gave you these options. You can either get a week vacation at Disneyland and you can invite as many friends as you want and it's all expense paid and it's going to be amazing, and there's going to be tons of candy and ice cream and everything. You can pick that door, that decision, or the second option is getting punched in the face, and you lose all of your possessions. Which one are we going to pick? The minimalists in the room are like, yeah, I could, get, I could lose all my stuff. No. Like, I don't even like my stuff all right, I want you to picture this insane choice that you have in front of you. Oh yeah, right, totally. I mean, you you picture this insane choice that you have and most of us in the room would say, "Uh, yeah, that's a no-brainer. Nothing could be better than going to Disney night with my friends and the alternative is really, really, really bad. And tonight, we're gonna be looking in James chapter four at at a clear warning that James is writing to the people of God. And James is writing to these people and he is telling them and he is showing them and he is reminding them of the good things that they have in Jesus. And the reality of closeness and intimacy with God is better than anything else. And the alternative, being far away from God, being uh, attracted to the things of the world and the things that are not of God, that's gonna lead to nothing but destruction. It's even better than that silly illustration. Closeness with God is the most important thing that we can have in our lives. True intimacy and relationship with the Lord is better than absolutely anything. And the consequences of being far from God and being attracted to the things of this world well, those consequences are great. Those consequences are big. And right now, I'm sure you're thinking of that silly illustration and you're like, yeah, well, the choice is so clear. Who would be so confused to, to not pick the better of the two options? Who would be so silly to not think about the best option ahead? And friends, oftentimes uh, we look at scripture and we, we look at the people who uh, the author was writing to and we say, how could you not choose God? How could you not see that God and Jesus and a relationship with Jesus is the best thing ever? But friends, I don't know about you, but in my life, sometimes I start looking at things of the world. I start looking at old uh, habits and patterns and thinking those might be just as good as my relationship With the Lord. Our perspective gets skewed. And tonight in James chapter 4, we're going to see a clear warning of worldliness and a call to communion with God. We're going to see a clear warning of worldliness and we're going to see a call to communion with God. Tonight we're going to see a warning against worldliness and a clear call to closer communion with the Lord. In a world that we live in that wants to blur lines, that wants to uh, praise things that are wrong and wants to criticize things that are good, in a world that intentionally is trying to skew what is true, what is not true, in a world that is trying to have people move and, and compromise their morals, James tonight sets up a clear line in the sand for us to follow. There is worldliness and following after the passions and desires of our own heart inspired by the world, or there's a close, intimate relationship with Jesus. Humble submission to God leads to closeness with God. Communion, the original uh, meaning of that word communion, to share uh, intimate and personal uh, uh, thoughts and and have personal speech about, just like your best friend in the whole world, world, true communion with God and closeness to God is better than anything. And what we're going to see tonight as well is the closer we are to God and the more uh, our, we are close to God and we are spending more time with God, the easier it is through God's spirit it is to resist the things that would try to draw us away from God. You know, as a pastor and just, I'm, as a Christian even, uh, sometimes I see and I, I have conversations with people and um, with Christians and non-Christians alike, I often, um, if we are talking about religion, if we're talking about Jesus, to Christians, sometimes I ask, how can I be praying for you? What's something that I could be praying for you for? And so many times Christians will say, yeah, I just want to feel closer with the Lord. I just want to have a deeper, more personal relationship with the Lord. And oftentimes, even non-believers, in certain moments, I'll, I, I'll talk to them, and I'll maybe ask why they don't uh, you know, they haven't gone to church or they haven't uh, even opened their mind up to the reality of, of a God or of uh, the truths of the scripture. And sometimes those people will say, well, I've tried it, but you know, just something didn't feel right. There just wasn't something, something was missing or it's not for me, it's not quite my thing. And oftentimes in our life, we ask ourselves the question, how can I be closer tonight? And friends, I want us to pay attention. I want us to pay attention to this passage tonight. As we ask ourselves so often, how can I be closer to the Lord? There's a call for us to flee the friendship of this world, to flee the, the things that would bind us, the things that would uh, uh, control us in this world, and to embrace friendship with God through humility. And through that submission to God, we experience true Uh, communion and true uh, strengthening of a relationship with God. So we're going to talk all about that tonight. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive into scripture. God, we love you. We're so thankful for you. We're thankful for the truths that are presented here in this world, uh, in in your word right here, God. I pray that uh, you would speak to us clearly, that you would uh, be able to show us uh, the power of your word here tonight. We love you. It's all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, James chapter four, starting verse one, we're going down to verse five. It says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You adulteress People, James gets the number one encourager award here for that line. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or you, do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? These are a couple of crazy, amazing, uh, and complex passages here in 1 verses 5. And I'm not kidding when I say that within these passages, within these verses, we could probably just take one or two of them and talk for like hours about them, but I'm not gonna do that because if we did that throughout the whole book of James, the sixth graders in the room wouldn't even be graduated before we were done, because there's just a lot in here. So I would encourage you as we're looking through this, as we're looking through these truths, uh, to p- focus and to pay attention. Remember the context of uh, who James is writing to. Uh, the audience is a group of people who have, uh, are under great trial, under great persecution, but they still, in this process of being persecuted, in this process of having their things ripped away from them, they haven't quite figured out how to get along with each other. They haven't quite figured out how to get along with uh, one another as brothers uh, and sisters in Jesus. And they're fighting, there's these quarrelings and these problems that are coming up. And so oftentimes I look in scripture and I'm like, man, you don't think like seeing Jesus in person and like walking with Jesus, some of these people walking with Jesus, seeing the miracles that he did, like you don't think that would be enough to like unify each other in Jesus? And then I think about times in my own life where I have fought with other believers and I have judged other believers and I have spoken poorly of other believers and others have done the same to me. I think, you know, maybe none of us has figured it out yet. Maybe there's something that we all still need to work on But here in verse one, we see, uh, you know, James is calling out these problems, the quarreling, the fighting. But then James looks deeper below the surface. He, he, He looks deeper than the fighting and the quarreling and the judging. Not that all those things are right, but he looks deeper to say, what is it? Why is it the reason that you are doing these things? And he says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. See, there's a problem here. The people of God have decided to submit to their worldly passions and the result isn't pretty. The people of God have decided to submit to the passions living inside of them and follow those passions and have those uh, emotions and, and, and passions for sinfulness drive them in their lives and the result is detrimental. Because friends, this is something that we need to uh, know and remind ourselves of today. Submission to our worldly passions always leads to our destruction. Submission to our worldly passions always leads to our destruction. We see that represented here in verses one through five. So what is causing these quarrels and fights among you? Is it not your passions that are within you? Verse one is an evidence of a heart that has made itself quite comfortable in dwelling in the ways of this world. The people of God are uh, so concerned about their possessions. They're so concerned about uh, the things that they have lost that they are willing to result to the way the world behaves. They're willing to listen to their own emotions and their own sinful desires, and they start acting and looking just like the world. Is it not because of the passions that exist inside of you? James asks. And I think it's important we see here in verse two, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. I think it's important to note for everyone in this room right now that our passions aren't necessarily bad. The passions that you and I have, the the desires or the thoughts or emotions that we have aren't necessarily evil. It's, and they're not necessarily evil. Like it says this, you desire and you do not have, but where does, where does this go awry? Where does this go incorrectly? Where does this go wrong? Uh, oh yeah, the part about murdering, not good. Friends, our desires are not bad. The desire to be loved is natural. The desire to succeed, the desire for physical touch, the desire for justice, the desire uh, of, to be successful amongst your peer groups these things are natural, normal passions. But when we submit to these, rather than submitting our passions to God, when we submit to our own passage our passions and we don't submit them to God, that's, friends, is when we run into trouble. That's when we're in for a world of trouble. When our passions guide us, we will always run into destruction. Like a broken compass or a broken GPS, it'll never take us to the place where we wanna go. It always is guiding us in all the wrong ways to all the wrong places. But something happens in the lives of the believers when they don't submit these passions, the things that live inside of them, the things that we all struggle with and are born with, when they don't submit these things to God and when they submit to them. I want to be successful, so I'm going to overwork I'm gonna rely on my own strength and I'm gonna be anxious because of it. I wanna be loved, so I'm going to compromise on my emotional and physical boundaries in this relationship. I want to be valued and to be seen as powerful, so I'm going to bully all those I view as a threat. Is it not the passions that are within you? And friends, before we knew Jesus, these were the things that were guiding our lives. These desires, the desires of the world, the desires of our hearts, the temptations of the devil, these were the things that were guiding us and directing us. And it's a tough spot to be in. But when we find Jesus, of course, he frees us from uh, these things. But James is offering a a warning and a a plea and a, a rebuke of these people who have decided that maybe things of this world aren't really that bad. Maybe I can be here in this relationship with God, but maybe I can like, if if it really is when the rubber meets the road, I can really decide to uh, fight and uh, bicker and be angry kind of like the world is. But I can also be here kind of in this camp as well in my relationship with God. And James is clearly fighting against this. Look at this in verse two. At the end of verse two, it says this, you do not have because you do not ask. Verse three says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongfully to spend it on your passions. Now again, those two verses are kind of squashed in the middle of this one point and we could talk for a long time about those. But friends, a quick, this is, this is what this passage is saying. The Lord only gives good gifts. The Lord only gives good gifts. And friends, the Lord doesn't bless selfish and sinful prayers. It's just not going to happen. The Lord doesn't bless selfish and sinful prayers. Many of James's listeners may have been so convinced that they were in the right about why they needed to uh, achieve some level of something back so that they start acting like the world, so they start fighting with people in the church. They were so convinced that they were right that they were asking God to do something that God wouldn't even do. Like, let me put it like this. If I am super mad at like a coworker, I don't know, let's say Max, he's somewhere in the room. I don't know. I'd never been mad at him in my life because I love him, he's a very precious person. But let's say for some reason I'm mad at him one day and I am just, I'm about to confront him. I'm about to walk, on his, uh, walk to, to his office and I, I knock on his door. But before I do that, I say a quick prayer and I say, God, please help me to emotionally destroy Max. God, please help him to not even want to like work for the rest of the day because I made him so emotionally distraught. God, can you bless my speech as I just rip into my fellow brother here? Thank you, God, Amen. And it's a funny illustration, right? But friends, God doesn't bless prayers like that. God doesn't bless you with things that are gonna guide you away from him. God doesn't bless the prayers that we ask in selfishness. It's just not a thing that can happen. God only gives us things that would bring us closer to him. And these Christians, these people who are fighting amongst each other, James says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly, friends. You ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I think that this echoes so clearly what we learned in chapter one, right? When we, uh, in chapter one, it says, count it all joy when you experience trials, right? Trials, something that we would never, ever choose for ourselves in our lives. God says, count it all joy because those things, they're actually bringing you closer to me. They're perfecting your faith. They're creating in you a more perfect faith. And so often I feel like on the flip side, we're like, okay, God, here's what I need. I need this type of relationship, I need this type of school, I need this type of future, and if you could just make it happen, that would be awesome. But God doesn't bless prayers that would uh, lead us into more worldliness. And I'm not saying that we necessarily know and it takes a level of discernment uh, to know these things, but oftentimes, friends, We have to ask ourselves, are we praying selfish prayers? Are we praying prayers that would just lead us to more worldliness, to having a better relationship with the world? Because God doesn't bless those prayers. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Friends, God gives good and perfect gifts. He gives good and perfect gifts. He blesses you with the things that are gonna lead you into a closer relationship with him always. And sometimes that looks like saying uh, no to you because of that relationship, because God is protecting you from whatever it may be. You have not because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Sometimes I think about this verse, I think about how uh, James would have been with Jesus growing up, right? Half-brother here, spoiler, but it's true. Um, Half-brother of Jesus who would have been looking at Jesus, who would have been walking with Jesus, who would have been listening to how Jesus taught about prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your will come, your, uh, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And oftentimes, I think that James is thinking about these things that Jesus is saying as he is writing them. So, continuing on, we see these uh, churches or the, these people who are quarreling and fighting amongst each other. We see, uh, you know, James offer a rebuke for the way that they're asking and the reasons that they're asking. And verse four, he says this: Look down at your text. It's incredible, you adulterous people. Whoa! Do you not know that friendship? with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Friends, friendship with the world is enmity with God. We're still talking about that first point here, that uh, submission to our worldly passions always leads us to destruction. Submission to what the world would say is right always leads you and I down the wrong path. So let's think about that question at the very beginning. How do we feel closer to God? The question we ask ourselves so often, how can I feel and experience the presence of the Lord more? How can I uh, be closer with the Lord? How can I enjoy his presence more? And friend, verse four shows us that we never grow closer to God when you're chasing down the desires of this world. We never grow closer to God when we're chasing down the desires of this world. Why? Because friendship with the world, a relationship with the world, and the things of this world and our own passions and our old former passions is completely opposite of God's heart and God's desires, and God's way. Worldliness is so much uh, deeper than not trying to uh, wear a certain type of clothing or not trying to drive a certain car. It's so much deeper than that. It is direct opposition to the ways and the word of God. And James lays it out here very clearly. He calls them adulterous people, uh, you know, people who are unfaithful, people who uh, decide that they want God's way sometimes, but then they also kind of also want some of the things of this world, but like mostly God's things. But then, like, sometimes if I could get some stuff from the world or some of my passions and desires that could be fulfilled through the world, that would be great too. And James calls them out right away and says, that simply cannot be. We never grow closer to God, we never experience true intimacy with God when we're constantly looking for the satisfaction that only God gives in the presence of the world and the presence of the things that the world offers. We're just not gonna find that. Worldliness is contrasted to submission to God. Worldliness is saying, my passions, my desires, uh, the way of this world, that's actually the right way. That's actually the right thing to do. And that's where we find ourselves in trouble. So, friends, because worldliness is completely opposed uh, to godliness, following the world looks like denying and running away from God's will, God's word, and God's direction. So, right now, you have to just think about your life. Are your desires calling the shots for you right now? Or is the goal to be closer to God and to be closer with the Lord? Or are your passions? running and calling the shots for you. Because we learn that when we uh, submit to our passions, when we submit to the ways of this world, that leads to destruction. And friends, that's where we are. That's where we were when we were born before the Lord found us. And that's so often where we are tempted to go, even after we have had a relationship with the Lord. Even after this has happened, So often we can get pulled and enticed by the things that would lead us to nothing but destruction. Where's the good news in this? What are we supposed to do about this reality? Look down at verse four with me. It says this, but he gives more grace, period. But he gives more grace, I don't know if there's a better verse to highlight, underline or circle in your Bible than that, but he gives more grace. Even when we're enticed by our own passions, even when the world looks more appealing, God is always willing to give you more grace. Grace, something that God gives to us that we don't deserve. Mercy is when he takes away something that we did deserve, sin, death, punishment, and he gives us something, grace, that we didn't deserve. And guys, he gives more of it. When we're enticed, when we are wrestling with the things of this world, when we feel drawn towards the world, he gives more. But he gives more grace. Continue on with me in verse six. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? Who does God give grace to? The humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves therefore before the Lord and he will exalt you. Friends, this is good news. Though it does have a language that would be convicting and piercing, this is good news for you and for me. Why is that so? Because when we When we submit to God, submission to God always leads to the destruction of our passions. So first we start off when we're following our passions, when we're following these things, that led us to destruction. But following after God and submitting our passions to God actually results in the destruction of those things that were trying to lead us away from the Lord. And you might hear that and think that sounds too good to be true. It is very good and it is very true. That's why it's called the gospel. It's the most amazing thing that we can uh, ever know. This is the good news. Oftentimes, you know, as, as a Christian, I feel like sometimes we truly feel like, and we, we have certain sins that we struggle with, and we say, you know, I feel like I'm just always gonna be that way. Like I got like the next 60 to 70 years ahead of me. And it seems like my sins are going to be like one, two, and three. I'm always going to be angry or lustful or uh, jealous or prideful. I'm just always going to be those things. We just kind of accept the fact that that is how it's going to be. But friends, he gives more grace. He gives more grace to those who recognize their sin and turn from it. But he gives more grace. Friend, when you're caught in sin, it's, you're never too far away from God. Friend, when you are submitting to the pa- your passions and the things of this world, you are never too far from God. Scripture tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we were sinners, he was giving us grace. Even when we were sinners, God says, I'm willing to fight for this person, I'm willing to allow this person to come into the light, to come into uh, this relationship with me. And when you're stuck in sin, you are never too far gone. We were the furthest ever we could have been when we didn't know Jesus, but even as we know Jesus and as we feel enticed to this world, you are never too far from grace because why he gives more of it. That's the good news of Jesus. So friends, we ask ourselves that question, how do I feel, how do I become, and how do I stay close with the Lord? How do I experience this grace? How do I walk in this grace constantly? How do I I walk in a manner that is wise? How do I walk in this grace? Well, I think there's four things that are highlighted here in verses six through 10. There's a couple ways, there's a couple things that we wanted to highlight for you. There's four different things. Number one, humble yourself. Humble yourself. It says this in verse, uh, it says right there in uh, verse six, he gives, he opposes who? The proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord. So it starts with him giving grace. It's always the Lord who initiates the saving process and the sanctification process. But what does it start? Where does it start for us? Well, we start, in humility, We humble ourselves before the Lord. There's never a commandment in scripture that says, be humble. It always says, humble yourselves. It's a really important distinction because be humble is just kind of like this, okay, like I'll try my best, but every single person, whether they appear naturally prideful or they appear naturally humble, anywhere in between, God knows their hearts, God knows where they're actually at. Every single person is commanded to Humble yourself constantly. So, number one, humble yourself. What does humility look like before the Lord? Humility looks like God, I think that my way is not the best way. God, I believe that your way is the best way. God, I believe I can't do this without you. God, I need your help. It's finally getting to the very end of your rope where you can no longer, in your own strength or your own wit or your own uh, determination, you can't get any further, and you recognize that, and you are humble before the only person who can help you, and that's God. That's who God uh, or his spirit rushes to. That is uh, who God helps, those who are contrite in heart, those who are poor in spirit, God rushes to those people. So number one, we have to humble ourselves. As we're experiencing, as we're desiring to put away the things of this world and grow closer to the Lord, we have to, one, be, uh, or to humble ourselves. Two, we need to submit ourselves to the Lord. Verse seven, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submission to God looks like obeying what God's word says. And that's hard. And it takes a community of people to keep you accountable. It takes uh, time and years of, of faithful obedience. But friends, we need to submit ourselves before the Lord. When oftentimes we're so willing to submit easily to the things that just well up inside of us, our old passions, our own desires, we need to submit ourselves, our bodies as a living sacrifice before God. That looks like going to him constantly. That looks like saying that God's way, you you're, you're have the best way, you have the only way, the only path forward to light and to life. And then there's another thing. There's repentance. Looking at uh, verse eight, it says this, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's repentance, friends, involved in this process. There's repentance as we uh, uh, deny the things of this world and run closer to God. There are things that we recognize that are sinful and have been sinful, and we decide to change our mind about those things. We decide to turn from those things. With God's help and God's spirit, we are able to walk away from those things. That is repentance. That's what repentance is. And God's kindness leads us to that moment when we repent. James uses this uh, imagery right here, uh, this Old Testament imagery, cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts. People who have uh, gone towards the world, people who have uh, decided to follow the the way of this world, he's using this Old Testament imagery. Uh, There's this process, this, this cleansing process for anybody who would go into the temple of God where God physically dwelled in the Old Testament there was this process where there was was a sacrifice and there was this cleansing of the hands to symbolize just the absolute holiness of God and the purity of God and how anyone who walks into that uh, space must be pure. And friends, it's impossible for us to make ourselves clean, but when we know Jesus, we have his righteousness given to us right? And so that's the good news of the gospel. But when we are caught in sin, we need to, one, of course, be humble, submit to God, and uh, and then we need to repent. We always need to repent. We always need to go throughout that process and say, God, this was wrong. This is not your will. This is not your way. And this only is going to lead me to bad things. Then verse 9 says this, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Maybe you're reading that and you're like, did he switch those by accident? Did he switch it? Because don't we sing a song about, uh, yeah, you turn mourning to dance. Wait, do we do, right? There's scriptures that say in the morning there's joy in the morning and that the Lord turns uh, mourning into dancing. Why is James telling us to do this? Why is James telling us to be sad? Does God want us to be sad and depressed and to weep? And to mourn, friends, this is an appropriate response to sinfulness. We need to view sin appropriately. This is the appropriate response to ongoing sinfulness. In that moment where we recognize that this thing that we've been doing uh, has been wrong, this gravitation towards the way of the world is incorrect, when God reveals that and enlightens that to us, We have to recognize that there needs to be a season of mourning and sadness and grief because sin is what put Jesus on the cross. It's the reason why he made the sacrifice, because of our sin. And the good news is that he gives more grace and that he is willing to rush to us. He is willing to draw near to us. But what must we do in this process? After When we are caught in the ways of this world, we need to humble ourselves constantly. We need to submit ourselves to the Lord constantly. We need to repent continuously, and we need to view sin appropriately always. That's what we need to do, friends. Look at that verse, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee for you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. So often, every single person desires to be close with the Lord, whether you know it or not, friend, whether you're putting something else in the position of God, our hearts are longing to be close with him. Our hearts are desiring to be near and close to God. That's what we all want deep down. But so many people want that, but they aren't willing to go through the process that God says is necessary in order to get to a deeper uh, relationship with him. People want the peace of God, but they're not willing to submit to God's word. People are wanting the presence and the joy of the Lord, but they're not willing to submit to God's word. People are wanting to live in the ways of this world and experience the good things that come with knowing Jesus. And James says, no, it doesn't work like that. He uses the word adultery. He says, you adulterous people. Friends, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Oftentimes that verse, verse 7 and verse 8 are just kind of used. People say, resist the devil, he will flee for you. Uh, people say, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. But it's within the context of everything else he is saying in this passage. There's a process of mourning and turning from our sin. And there's moments where we embrace uh, the Lord in faith and we humble ourselves. These are the things we do. This is our response when the Lord calls us out of that sinfulness. And that's the good news. He gives more grace to people who are humble, to people who submit to God, to people who repent, and people who uh, constantly are grieved by sin. Because the world in this moment and the world in our moment are looking at the things of the world and they're saying, that's good. Uh, Sinfulness, that's something to laugh about. Uh, 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 Envy and anger and lust and jealousy. You can laugh about those things. And James is saying, no, no, no. Have an appropriate response to those things. Because you've been laughing at this, because you have been uh, laughing at your sin, let it now be turned to mourning as we draw closer to God and we recognize that God's way is the best way and that he leads us to more grace. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's... uh, That's Proverbs chapter three, verse like four and five. That's what it says, submit yourselves. Or no, it says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Continuing on in this passage, it says this in verse 11. And just when you uh, thought that there was any uh, bit of pride in you, Jesus brings Je- or James brings Jesus into the picture. He says, "This do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law, and the judges uh, and judges the law. But if You judge the law. You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Friends, there is an appropriate response to our sinfulness. There is an appropriate way um, to mourn our sinfulness. But as we walk closer to the Lord and as we are in uh, a relationship with the Lord, there's things that we can't hold, right? We talked about this when Courtney taught a couple of weeks ago. There's some things you can't hold together in your hand. We you can't hold a, a strong relationship with the Lord and judgment and evil thoughts and partiality. It's like, remember that? You can't hold all these things in your hand. And James is back to this idea again that one uh, brother can't judge and speak against another brother in an evil and sinful way. This is the third and last point of the night. We submit ourselves to the one lawmaker and the one judge. We don't sit in his seat. That's talking about Jesus, verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and there's only one judge. And friends, our job is to submit to that lawgiver and to submit to that judge because he's a good judge and he's a good lawgiver. We're not supposed to sit in his seat. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law. So friends, another reminder from James. The people that you uh, need to be treating with kindness and love and respect, have you been treating them poorly? Have you been using your words incorrectly? Have you been tempted to judge others because maybe they act different or maybe you think they're completely in the wrong? That's often when it's the most tempting, right? If someone legitimately has done me wrong, I sometimes feel like I can put on my, my robes now. I'm now the judge because I know what this person needs and that is my wrath. That's the punishment that I am going to give them. But James says, no, no, no. When you do that, are you not in, itself, in yourself judging the law? Are you not judging the actual law itself? Because what did Jesus say? Jesus's law is love to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your neighbor as yourself. And when we break that, we're breaking the prime commandment, the prime reason the thing that Jesus came to communicate to us. And James is drawing that to light. The one who speaks evil against his brother, who speaks uh, against them, is actually speaking against the law itself. Friends, we have to submit to God. We don't sit in his seat. We don't offer advice. We don't offer suggestions. We don't give a little bit of advice or, or, or ask for a little bit of this or that. We submit to God. We allow him to do what he wills. And we understand that he is a good judge. He is a judge that only brings justice. And our job is simply to submit to him. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James, ending on a very encouraging note as always. Who are we? What power do we have? Because where were we before Jesus? Where were we before you knew Jesus? We were stuck in the pit of destruction, Psalm 40 tells us. And God pulled us out of that pit and he cleaned us, he put us on rock and he set a new song in our mouths. How are we, who are we to judge someone else when God already did all that for us? Who are we to judge? Who are we to speak ill against somebody who uh, is maybe even in the wrong? And who are we to speak to and judge people who are in the household of faith? Now, there are times when there is, uh, there is sin problems and there are uh, situations that you can, uh, you know, keep your brothers and sisters accountable for. But this is addressing, this is addressing the moments where we become evildoers with our thoughts because of the way we're thinking about that person, Right? And to confront someone in an appropriate context takes lots of patience, prayer, and time. But these are the quick moments when we judge. These are the quick moments when we say, you're in the wrong. These are the quick moments when we say, I know what's right, and I'm going to inflict my punishment upon you. Who are we to judge? We submit to the judge and the lawmaker. We don't sit in his seat. So friends, this is our text for us tonight. This is the reality of where we have been. I want you to think and dwell again on verse six, but he gives more grace. God gives more grace. The moment where you encounter Jesus for the first time, and if you don't know Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about Jesus, about who he is. But the moment, think back to that moment where you embraced him in faith. Maybe it was a, con- a conference, a camp, a small group, something like that. I want you to remember that moment where the, the grace of the Lord uh, was, was the Lord gave you grace. God didn't just call you out of that sinful darkness and put our feet upon the rock and say, okay, cool, that's it. That's all the grace you get. Verse six says, he gives us more. Friends, when we're caught and we're being attracted and we're thinking and dwelling on the things of this world, the Lord gives you more grace. The Lord gives you more grace grace. So the question today is, how are you going to react to that truth? How are you going to react to that truth? How are you going to live your life differently because of that truth? Humble submission before the Lord always brings us uh, closer to the Lord. Humble submission before the judge, before the lawmaker, before Jesus, always brings us closer to God. That's something we all desire. That's something we all want. And that's something that God is willing to give because he gives more grace. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for your word. God, I pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. God, I pray that you uh, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. I am thankful that uh, the reality that uh, your word pierces through bone and marrow. Your word uh, pierces at the things that need to be removed from our hearts. I'm thankful for that truth, God. We need that word. We need that reminder. Help us to always submit to you. Help us to not submit to our passions or the world, but to submit those things before you and watch you work through us because we've turned to you. We love you. Uh, Be with us, God, tonight as we are discussing these things in small group. Give us grace to treat one another with love and respect. We love you, Lord. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name.